time together. So I'm David Fielding, an associate pastor here, and I get the privilege uh, when Pastor Jim Andrews, who is our senior pastor, uh, gives me the opportunity to preach. And so he and his wife, Olsey, are on a much-earned and deserved vacation, and so we'll want to keep them in our thoughts and prayers as they, they need some rest and recuperation. So I am not the senior pastor. Again, my name is David Fielding. Um, secondly, uh, in keeping with Step, with uh, our senior pastor, welcome to all of you who are guests at Lake Bible Church. If it's your first or 31st time and you're kind of just checking it out, we want to say thanks for coming. Um, I also want to add welcome to those, and that's the rest of you, who are not guests. And uh, You have been members. You have been servants. You have been sufferers, and you've been, you know, pushing that plow for some time here, and I want to say I'm glad you're here. So when I look out on your faces, I want to smile and nod and and say thank you for joining us. Um, We are going to be in a difficult passage today. Just let that rest on your hearts for a moment. Isaiah chapter 53. For those of you who are seasoned believers and familiar with your Bible, you will know that that intimately draws us in uh, to the suffering of Christ 700 years before it occurs. So we're going to be in a difficult passage today. So just just allow yourself to exhale, let your shoulder muscles relax, because I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will do something in and through his word with us today. Um, But it's going to start with an introductory question. Are you offended Or are you comforted by the suffering of Christ? Now, I speak primarily to those who have already trusted in him. So I know part of your answer. You're my brother and sister. You've bowed the knee. But I also speak to those who have not yet chosen to bow the knee. Are you offended or are you comforted? By Christ's suffering. Let's let that question guide us today. We're going to only read six verses of the 12 verses in that chapter. But we're not going to plunge in just yet. We're going to give you a little context. And for many of you, it will be just a familiar refresher. For some of you, you may pick up a new detail or two. Approximately 2,700 years ago, there was a man named Isaiah. And he was endowed by the Holy Spirit of God to proclaim the words of God to the people of God in a land about 7,000 miles away in Judah, be the southern region of Israel. Now, collectively as a nation, this people of God professed to know God. And yet, if you would take the time in the next couple months to read the first chapter, which foreshadows the 66 chapters of Isaiah, you would find some very difficult truths to digest. Truth like this. You're so sick, spiritually speaking, ah, all the way from your toes to your nose. I, God, speaking through the man Isaiah who I've sent, would wish you would close the temple doors. I want you to stop praying because when you pray, I plug my ears. 
I don't even hear your prayers because your hands are filled with blood. You're beyond hypocrites. I don't even know why you come into church anymore. That is the opening of the 66th chapter book called Isaiah. That is the foreshadowing of the struggle of this prophet's ministry through four kings of Israel, Uzziah all the way to Hezekiah. Now, you're paying attention and I appreciate that. There's also a shining ray of hope in chapter one. Because God doesn't just leave us with an indictment. Remember my question two minutes ago. Are you offended or are you comforted by the suffering of Christ? We're going to continue to follow that. But God doesn't just leave his people, whether they be pretentious or not yet his people are genuine and struggling in an indictment. He says, come to me. This is in verse 18. Let, let us reason together. State your that you may be acquitted, even though your sins are crimson, red as crimson. I'll make them as white as wool. What is that? A foreshadowing of forgiveness, a foreshadowing of you are so bad. I'd like you to shut the church, shut it down. But I'm not done with you yet. So that's what that's where Isaiah is working with. It's a rigorous ministry. I don't think there's a lot of uh, potlucks he's invited to. Uh, I, I, I don't think uh, elder boards are giving him a raise. I, 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 I think he is just going through it in difficulty and turmoil. And when people see Isaiah on the scene, they wince and grimace. And who invited him? You know what I'm saying? Like, I do not want to hear what he has to say unless... Unless, with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, they see through the judgment into the hope. And that's what brings us to Isaiah 53. Because in the book of Isaiah, he, with the Holy Spirit's precision and foreknowledge, gives four lenses of time. We're going to primarily speak in the third lens. The first lens is he's speaking to his, his countrymen. Right then and there. Repent. you dry. Stop faking it. This is the famous verse from Jesus. Quoting Isaiah, you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Stop it. Repent is Hebrew for sub. It means return. Repent to me and get serious. So he's speaking to his contemporaries in 700 or so B.C. The second lens is he's speaking about a century down the road of peace. And he's saying, if you don't, judgment is coming and it is going to rock your world and crush your country. And we know that approximately 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar came in and annihilated uh, Judah and Jerusalem and took the captives uh, uh, who are citizens of that land into Babylon. And for 70 years, you get the Ezekiel prophet and the Jeremiah prophet, and, 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 and they're lamenting uh, their captivity. The, the prophets are giving them instruction about how to endure it. That's the second lens. The third lens is 700 years down the future, he's saying... There's someone coming. There is someone coming who has been promised since the beginning. There's someone coming. 
And see, he'll just stop mid-flow. You got to read the whole, 60, I mean, that's a big homework assignment. I know you're busy, 66 chapters. I, I don't, I don't want to be tasked with that this week, but I, I've had hard press with these six verses. So, but, but, but 66 chapters, if you just go ahead and read it all, just maybe you can put on an audio book and on 217, it'd take you two hours to get anywhere because they got construction. So you'd be done by the time I'm on 217 every day. It takes me three hours to get to work. So it's six miles. I don't know what they're doing. They're trying to make it wider. It's weird. But, um, so, okay, a little humor. You're just giving you a little breath of fresh air. Okay, let's come back now. Um, so if you read the 66 books, there are messianic. The Messiah means the anointed one, the one who was promised. God's plan to fix everything that's wrong with your life. And I don't mean get a Cadillac. And I don't mean every marital spat will end in a hug. And I don't mean you'll never die of cancer. What I mean is the deepest deepest darkest ache of the human soul which is an estrangement with your creator and death that is a byproduct of that there's one coming and he's gonna fix all that that's where we get that christmas story and isaiah 7 of a virgin and we go on forth and so now we're in isaiah 53 that's the third lens the fourth lens we're not going to cover it's the end of the age <laughs> and he does some highlighting there in the 66 chapters and we're not going to do that because we don't want to be here till the end of the age. So we're going to, we're going to focus on our text. But now, now I feel that even if you but, but didn't read 66 chapters of Isaiah this week, which I'm sure most of you did, but, 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 but you, you with me now. So we're in Isaiah 53 in the third lens. He's looking forward 700 years. You with me now? You with Isaiah? You with the Holy Spirit? All right, I see a yellow light. I'm going to ignore that. I'm just going to keep on rolling. We've only been up here two minutes, right? I'm just going to ignore that. Okay, we're we just getting started. So, I, All right. Let's, uh, let's just pray one more time, and then let's just get into it. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, we come to you, and we are so grateful that you have created all that is. We talked about in Vacation Bible School, Big Truths that you created everything and you created us. Oh, that you know us better than we know ourselves and yet you still love us. That you came for us and this is what we're going to focus on and that yet you suffered for us. And then you rose and you're coming back again to restore us. And so we pray, Jesus, that your spirit would implant your word in such a way that it would take root and bring forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 53, 1 starts off with a coupling, two ideas, the twain becoming one. Let's, let's, let's focus together. Who has believed our message? Some translations say, who has believed our report? But then it kicks into gear and, and ties in and says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, the arm of the Lord biblically is an expression of deliverance, of action. You can look up a few verses and see in Isaiah 52, 10, I'm going to lay bare the arm of the Lord. And it's about salvation and all people will see the salvation of God. So you can see that muscular, that, that, that warrior, that defender tonality in that expression, the arm of the Lord. But you have to catch it or else you'll miss it. And Alec Moiter in his commentary gave me some insight, which I will credit to him now. What he's saying is this. Be cautious not to miss God's message because it comes through God's man and 
through unsuspecting methods. That's what the first six verses of Isaiah 53 are going to show us. Be careful that he's saying, who has believed our report? In other words, how could this be the plan of salvation? And he's going to explain to us why. And then I'm going to come back to my question. Are you offended or are you comforted by the suffering of Christ? Because who has believed our message? Message about what? The elected one, the Messiah. Who has the arm of the Lord revealed? Unless God reveals and pulls back the layer off your eyes, you'll miss Jesus. And you know why? It's in one word, his suffering. Because to the natural man, to the natural woman, a savior that suffers is not worth much at all. I want a savior that protects me from suffering in my natural state. I want a savior that erases suffering and evil from the world rather than embraces it. We can be offended at the suffering of Christ because we perceive it as a weakness naturally. So he's saying, unless the Lord reveals to you that this message and the deliverance through this message is actually a person, you'd miss it. You wouldn't look at Jesus on, on Cruz and Carmen and get, get in a latte and say, man, that looks like a savior to me. You would, you would miss it. You might say that about somebody rolling in a Bentley or something, but you wouldn't say that about Jesus. If you bumped into him on Safeway, you wouldn't think he looked like much. Oh, you think I'm sacrilegious. Let's read the Bible. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And now we see the pronoun of the person. He, he is the message. He is the arm of the Lord, not just a message separate from him. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. That's what I just got done saying in modern day language. I just got done saying that. I've read my Bible. I've prepared deeply for this. I'm not playing around. I want us, if you're a believer for 27 years or you're a believer for two and a half minutes or you haven't trusted Christ yet, I want you to consider, are you offended or are you comforted by the suffering of Christ? Because the Bible is opening up one of the most intimate passages of his suffering and we don't want to miss it. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We're going to miss it. And it'll mess up the way we think about how God's going to work in our life. We're going to miss him. We cannot be casual about this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. According to the natural man, he was just a common man who you would pass by without a second glance. There was nothing about Jesus in the flesh, the one that's promised, God's own son, that would cause you to stop and say, man, I got to to know that guy. That was on purpose. That was on purpose to reveal something about our value system. You might hearken back approximately 300 years earlier to when King David was anointed. That famous quote, when all those big strapping brothers were set up, King David's dad, uh, Jesse, had the barbecue. The prophet Samuel's like, hey, I'm going to anoint the king. He brought all the brothers in, seven brothers, grown men. 
didn't even invite David. Samuel, a man in tune with the Lord, but still of this world, said, I bet you it's that guy. That guy looks like a king. That guy looks like, you know, he draw, he, he, he has a charisma, a commanding presence. His jawline is real strong. You know, it looks like those biceps are coming through his shirt. God said, that's not my man. He went down the line. Samuel's confused. Well, you got anybody else? He said, oh, yeah, we got a little David out there. He's tending the sheep. He's taking out the trash. We didn't think to invite him. God said, well, him, Samuel said, we're not sitting down. Till. We're not going to eat this ribs. None of this going on here. And they would have been beef ribs, not pork. They're good Jews. But, um, but stay with me now. But, but, uh, but, but he said, we're not until. And so David came and he says that that's my man because God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but the heart. That's that famous quote, isn't it? In First Samuel. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all with me? Well, Jesus Christ on purpose came as an ordinary guy. From humble beginnings. You know that your crib that you bought for your baby was a hundred times more expensive than the first place that jesus laid his head you bought a more expensive crib for your baby than god of the universe let his son lay his head down unimpressive would be a good word that's unimpressive don't rush to try to cheat on the test be like no i would love jesus everything about jesus i would just love him i would just let no no you wouldn't the bible says no you wouldn't it's unimpressive on purpose. He goes on. He had humble beginnings. His parents probably weren't, I mean, I don't know if they were poor, but they certainly weren't wealthy. He, uh, you, get that, you get that fame verse from uh, Pastor Jim just preached on a couple weeks ago, John 1. He came from that podunk rural area of uh, southwestern Galilee, Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You think the Messiah is going to be coming up from there? Do you catch what I'm saying? Are you feeling the weight of this? We haven't got to the suffering yet. We're just talking about his ordinariness and how our value system places too high a value on form rather than substance. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once stated, I wish that men would be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. That was in a racial dilemma and tension. But, you know, it goes across the board. Uh, you know, you could say, I, I'd rather a man or a woman be judged by the content of their character than the shininess of their automobile or the content of their character or how many houses they have. You, you get the drift here. We as human beings or how beautiful they look as women or handsome as men. We, we don't, don't get it twisted, brothers and sisters. We stumble in this area. And Jesus was just an ordinary guy. And you would miss him if it wasn't for the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue. Then it moves on and says, he was, we're getting into the suffering part. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Or in uh, the NASB, a man acquainted with sorrows, which gives your title for this sermon. Jesus Christ, a man acquainted with sorrows. A familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. And this verse almost brings me to tears. I won't be dramatic, so I won't conjure them. Almost brings me to tears. And we held him. Listen to me now. What's the pronoun? He says we. He's putting himself in the sandals. He says we held him in low esteem. Do you know what it is to hold somebody in low esteem? It's to think little of them. It's to have 
placed low value on them. Could you imagine yourself judging God as not worth your time? You did it. You've done it. Don't think it's about them, those guys, those Jews, those unbelievers, those liberals, those downtown Portlands, the heroin junkies. You've done it. You've held God in low esteem. It's terrifying. It breaks your heart. Isaiah the prophet, a man of God, puts himself in that bat. We, he looks down the corridor of seven centuries. And he looks at the cross and he looks at how people would reject Jesus on the face of his ordinariness or in the face of his pedigree or lack thereof according to natural man. And they would say, he's not, he's not much. People do it today all the time. Jesus Christ isn't much. He hasn't healed the coronavirus yet. Jesus Christ isn't much. I've seen them Christians. They still don't get it right with race. They're still all backwards about gender issues. They don't know anything. If Jesus Christ is so great, why are babies still dying today of hunger? Jesus Christ ain't much. The human being, the creature, the created, judges the creator. Happens all the time. Happens right here. Right here in this guy's head. Because at times, at times, I'm offended by the suffering of Christ. Because why? Because I want him to come in, like Pastor Jim says, on a white charger in a big tank. And I want him to kick every enemy that I've ever felt away from me. And I want him to put me in a rainbow with just comfort and like all this little ooh and, and ah and coddle me and I, that's what I want and he won't do it and so I'm offended at his suffering and I, 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 would, I would venture to guess that sometimes you are too we hold him in low esteem because of his suffering he doesn't look like much look at how he's letting him talk you know in prison where I did a little time he said you don't want to let somebody talk to you some kind of way you catch my drift now you don't want some people to listen to other people disrespect you. Because then word's going to get around and you might not have any shoes. You might not get to eat. Because look at how he let them talk about him. That's how we judge Jesus. Look at how they, look at how they, look at how he let them talk to him. Look at how he let them slap him. He can't be my savior. That can't be my God. Ah, but he is God. He's the one true God. Don't miss the message of God's salvation through the man and the method of suffering. One reason we're offended is because we don't want suffering. We want a strong savior. He is strong, but in a paradox that we can't fully fathom, he embraced suffering, humiliation. Surely he took up our pain, verse 4, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. So that's just a misinterpretation of God's judgment. But it has to do... There's two things I want to mention. Actually, I'm going to save that part for the end. I'm going to stay on the, on the negative. The reasons why we're offended at Christ's suffering... And then we'll talk about the reasons why we're comforted.
by Christ's suffering. So I'll end you with the good news. I'll lift you up. We misinterpreted his suffering as a punishment from God for something he had done instead of taking the punishment for God for something we had done. Matthew chapter 27, verse 38 and following says these words. It's the scene of the cross. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Can't you see the sneering and the mockery? If God is so good, tell me you've never struggled with this. If God, you're so good, why do you still have me in this chronic sickness? If God, you're so good, why do people don't like me and I feel ostracized and lonely? God, if you're so good, I want a savior who fixes my problems. You've never been offended at the suffering of Christ? I doubt it. I doubt it. I know I have. I have to repent regularly at my offense. I'm offended by Jesus and how dare I? How dare I, when my breath in the very next comma, let alone word, could stop and I'm dead right now. I'm dead right now. You just haul me right on off and bury this carcass. But oh, I'll judge God. Tell him what he's doing wrong. Because I'm offended by his suffering. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and his, by his wounds we were healed. The next reason why we are offended by his suffering is because it reveals the ugliness of our sin. You know why he was broken, beaten, spit on and bloodied? Because that's what your sin looks like. That's what my sin looks like. Oh no, I'm just not that bad of a guy. Yes, you are. The perfect incarnate God, born of a virgin, grew up as a baby, sinned not, came with light, love, truth, forgiveness, and hope. He healed. And what did you do to him? What did you do to him with all that goodness staring you in the face? What did you do? You beat him. You made fun of him. And ultimately you killed him. We are offended by the suffering of Christ revealed in Isaiah 53 because it reveals the ugliness of our sins. Closing, and then we will wrap up with the comforts. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's been very heavy, and our time is drawing nigh, so I won't leave you just there, although I don't want to rush past it now. If anything rung true, you take time to pray to God about that. We're not here for religious performance. 
We're here to get right with God and walk holy lives before him. But here is what is comforting about Christ's suffering. One, we can learn to rejoice in Christ's suffering because he knows what it is like to hurt like we hurt and he cares. You can find that if you'd like a biblical reference, and there are several, in Hebrews 2, 13. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, being Christ, too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amanda and Miles' daughter was in my vacation Bible school, uh, third, fourth grade split this week, and as we covered the truth, I quoted her because she kind of got it. And it's always nice when you can grab a student's phrase, you know, helps them out. And she says, it's great to have someone in the universe really get you. And I said, that's just great. We can make a bumper sticker out of that. We would just sell some shirts. I don't know. We'll, just, we'll work on that later. But, 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 that, but, that, but that is a comfort of his suffering because he doesn't erase suffering from our lives when we give our lives to him. But he knows empathetically what it's like to suffer. And I am so very grateful that I can come broken and tired, fatigued and frustrated to the feet of my Jesus. And he can say, I feel you, Dave. I feel you. I may not be going to lift that, lift that burden, but I'm going to help you carry it. And I feel you. Sometimes it's just good to know that you're not alone in it. That's a comfort from Christ's suffering. Second... We can learn to rejoice in Christ's suffering because through, through it, he demonstrated a love for us that is deeper than any pain we will ever face. Many of you know, of course, of World War II, but some of you may not know of the Tim Boone family. Uh, they were a Dutch family who were Christians um, in Nazi Germany as that regime was sweeping over Europe. And they were hiding Jews in their home because they felt it was the right thing to do to honor the Lord since they were being exterminated. And the uh, Nazi uh, police took them, finding them in a wall that they had hidden the, the Jews. They were guilty there of that. And they put them in Auschwitz and different places. And the, and, and the family, it was a mother, father, and two sisters, and there might have been another sibling. I don't think they ever saw each other again. The two sisters were located in one, Corey Timboon. Uh, but they died there. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a happy ending in that regard, except for... Uh, Corey Timboom and her sister were, were in that camp, horrific camp, for some time, and Corey survived and the sister didn't. But in a movie that I think is a direct quote, the sister is quoted as saying that she says, there is no pit. Oh, and they were in a pit. Would you say? There is no pit that Jesus' love doesn't go deeper still. And that is a comfort of the suffering of Christ, that he didn't just stand up from heaven and push some laser buttons and some laser beams and just kind of make all things some kind of way. 
he got down in the mess. And he knows what it's like to walk, walk that dirty mile. And that comforts you. And that comforts me. Last but not least, we can learn to rejoice in Christ's suffering because with it he completely, let me say that one more, one more time, completely paid for the debt for our sins against God and secured our relationship with God forever and our place with him in heaven for eternity. See, he laid on him the iniquity for us all because we couldn't bear to pay for it. We couldn't, we, could, we couldn't muster up the spiritual moral strength. And so the fact that you could trust in Christ, I told the kids, 33rd to 4th graders this week, I said, what does it mean? You talk about he made you. You talk about he knows you. You talk about he came for you. You talk about he died for you. What are you going to do about it? Are you about trust in Jesus Christ with your sins and your life and be forever forgiven and reconciled back to him? Or are you going to miss God's message through his man because of his method called suffering. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for this time that we shared together in your word. We pray that your spirit would, uh, again, just allow us to really learn from it in a way that doesn't stop at the end of this prayer. We love you and we pray that we will grow in the knowledge of you and obedience to you until you come again. In Jesus' name, amen.